0: Welcome to So Says Rick.
1: Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall.
0: Hi, and welcome to episode 26 of So Says
1: Rick. Hello, friends. Before Rick has a chance to say... We're going to do something different this week. I'm going to say we've got a friend in to do the episode. Which is different. It's not that different.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is our friend Michael Racy's. And Rick and Michael have been friends since back when we lived in Chicago.
0: Right, right. I've known Michael longer than I've known you. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we should probably get to it. I'm a little lightheaded today.
1: Yes, Rick is fasting today because he's getting his colonoscopy tomorrow.
0: I know everyone wanted to know that. This is the only episode we've done where I'm getting a colonoscopy the next day. Cool.
1: Exactly. I'm
0: on a liquid diet today. It's very exciting. And then later this evening at six o'clock in just a little bit, I get to start the medicine for cleaning me out. There's
1: something to look forward to.
0: (laughs) That's a fun ride for everybody.
1: The first time Rick got a colonoscopy, you know, they give you that twilight drug. The- I
0: like the twilight drug. It was like just taking a nap and then waking up a little damp. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> but anyway, so during the twilight thing, you're actually kind of awake, but you don't remember it. So after he finished, the nurses were like, you know, during the procedure he would not stop talking. (laughs) And I'm like, there's a big surprise. (laughs) And they said, but he was really funny. But he was also cracking himself up. And then when he would laugh, he wasn't being still enough for the procedure. So we had to tell him to stop talking.
0: You know what I'm hearing, Laura? I'm very entertaining, even in my sleep.
1: Right, even in a drug-induced stupor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, maybe I'll uh, share results in a a few weeks. That's a little teaser for the next episode.
1: (laughs) That'll bring him back.
0: That's right. But for now, let's hear a story from my buddy, Michael Races. The title of the story is The Creeper.
2: I have a very special relationship with my hands. Beyond connecting to my arms... They connect me to a man and a life he taught me was honorable, one spent working with my hands. My father's hands were strong, calloused. Yet like fine scales, they could measure a pound of nails from a bin full of scattered metal. Much more fascinating to me, though, was how they measured and conveyed things beyond the tactile. Humor and sadness, consternation and love, were all displayed by way of his hands. Their most distinctive trait, though, was the missing tip of his right index finger. He lost it in a lawnmower accident when I was a kid, and it healed into this bulbous knot of flesh where his fingernail used to be. It was known as the creeper. I remember the night the creeper was born. It was after dinner, my sisters and mother were sitting around laughing and talking, while my father's hands were on the table, seemingly at rest. Without warning, my father's misshapen finger began to twitch with a life of its own. My eyes grew wide as I looked on with great caution, and in a spooky tone my father announced, The Creeper has arrived. It was funny and scary all at the same time. From that moment on, the Creeper became his emissary. As I grew older, its role expanded. My father believed in corporal punishment and no longer his comic foil. The Creeper became his enforcer, a digital Luca I'd misbehave, and he'd dispatch it in a way that always made a sharp impression. For instance, if my transgression happened indoors, my father would strategically position himself in such a way "'that I'd have to pass close by to exit the room. "'I'd go to get past him, "'and just when I thought I'd made my way to freedom, "'the creeper swiftly descended, thwacking me on the head. "'It always found its target, "'a neutron bomb in my dad's arsenal. "'As I got older, though, the creeper changed its tactics. "'No longer reliant on brute force, "'it became a wand that my pop waved "'as he tried to orchestrate the cacophonous symphony of my life.' And when the futility of that exercise became apparent, the creeper shape-shifted, becoming a physical exclamation point that my father used to punctuate lessons of special meaning, thumping it pointedly into my chest, just in case the lesson should be lost. Now, for all my life, I've had a set of calluses on my hands, just like my father's, which made perfect sense back when I was working in the steel mills. But when I graduated from law school, there was no logical reason for me to have them. So when I moved 2,000 miles away from my father to pursue my dream of becoming an actor... I had to cultivate them the way a master gardener grows prized roses. I had exercised with no gloves on, massaging the ridges that formed at the base of my fingers my link to the man who inspired that level of devotion. As time passed, I even wondered what it would be like to have my own creeper. And in that frozen moment, I understood the unbreakable grip that love has on us, how the very thing that forms us, supports us, and is our salvation can also disfigure us if we hold it too closely. Like the man himself, the creeper mellowed with age. Whenever I went home to see my father, we always greeted each other with a hug and a kiss, and I never missed the chance to hold his hands in mine, if only for an instant. It's a memory I'll hold on to long after my calluses and my father are both gone.
0: Hey, Michael, thanks for sharing that story. It's one I've heard before, and it's one of my favorites, so that's why I ask you to come and come and give that story.
2: Well, you're nothing but welcome, Rick. I mean, um, let's face it, I think one of the things that we've always enjoyed, you and I, is the influence of older men in our lives, our fathers specifically. I mean, you know, I can't—I will never forget the story of your father, um, Roy, Get the Pie. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. My mom and dad were in Chicago, and we went to a restaurant, and my mom walked in, and they it was the Belden Deli. You remember that? And I they, do. Big, big dessert display case. My mom walked in, and they had a beautiful chocolate eclair sitting there, and she wanted that chocolate eclair. And my dad, when the waitress came up, he's like, well, do you have vanilla ice cream? <laughs> and she said, Roy, you're in Chicago. Get pie. <laughs>
2: And the beautiful thing about that story is that is, you know, if if you wanted to know who your father was in that moment, you knew definitively who Roy Hall was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And who your mother was, too, by way of extension. (laughs) Exactly. You're in Chicago. Get pie, And I've kept that in mind. That's why I get pie whenever I can. Words to live by. Hey, back to the story just uh, real quick. Sure. You did that on NPR, right? Yeah, I did.
2: um, I was very fortunate uh, to do um, some pieces for a show called Day to Day with Alex Chadwick. Back in the aughts, and I would do... Uh,
0: Back in the what's?
2: The aughts, you know, the 2007s and the 2008s. The aughts. Right. A hey, U G H T S. come on, get I on board. I know, I know, I'm right. with you, baby. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I did some uh, commentary for those guys. Uh, it's a really great format. You know, three minutes is, is an amazingly short, potent amount of time. Yep. And if you'd use it, you know, effectively, good on you. And if
0: not... <laughs> And in three minutes you gotta create a beginning, middle, and end. Oh man. Yep. You really do. Okay. Now Michael uses bigger words than me sometimes. You used a word in your story, I can't remember what it was now, but I didn't know what it was. Tactile? No. <laughs> Not that stupid. Okay, I know what tactile no, is. No, um <laughs> digital. Did, was it No, what? I know what digital okay, is. Okay, I
2: don't know. Well you're the guy that clutched on the word
0: arts. <laughs> okay. I maybe I'll think I'll think of it later. <laughs> Oh, digital for crying out loud. Okay, Michael and I have <laughs> a history together. Michael and I started back in, you probably know what year, 85 maybe? No, it was actually 84. 84. We started with John Michael Michalski leading a group called the Generic Comedy Company. Yeah. We rented a storefront on Belmont. 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 On Belmont, boy, I'm showing how long I've been away from way Chicago. Way west, way west. Way west. out by the expressway. And it was just this open room, and we ended up tearing out a wall and making it into a theater, and we worked and worked. And we got, built a stage. We built a stage. We built everything. And then John put together a cast with some great people who are some of the best improvisers we've ever worked with. Patty Musker. and Jill Talley. Jill Talley and Jack Bronis. And, uh, and, and of course, John and his wife, Kate. And we had such a great time. Yeah, it was amazing. We started that place, and then I ended up getting hired by Second City. But I would come back, and you guys kept the generic comedy company and the Improv Institute, is what we called it, open for years. Well,
2: the Improv Institute, as you know, sustained itself and expanded and went on to become really kind of like the cornerstone of the improv community in Chicago. They ended up getting a, a, their own theater-like theater like Real theater, uh, where Patty and Jack and all those people, Ross Gottstein—they
0: the really at the Royal George.
2: No, 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 no. This was this was farther east on Belmont, where they they transitioned. Oh,
0: yeah. And
2: it was—I mean—the the Improv Institute became literally an institution, in spite of itself, almost.
0: Right, right. Well, so we were part of that. We have some history together, and then you stood up at my wedding. Right. We've been together for a long time. When when uh, I moved to LA. Uh you ended up moving shortly after that and I helped you drive across yeah, the country. Doing,
2: well we've driven across country more than a couple times. Right. And it's um it's a great trip. It's a great trip. Especially when, when we did it. You know, we were just full of piss and vinegar and just uh um, And
0: listening to uh Brothers in Arms Dire oh, Straits. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Oh, people are listening like nice trip down history lane for you <laughs> <too."> <laughs> And it's funny Out in L.A., we don't live very close to each other. And in L.A., traveling any sort of distance can be so overwhelming. We don't see each other that often. No, we don't. And it's funny. People back in Chicago that knew us as a pair, like Rick and Michael, they're like, don't you guys, like, get together all the time? Oh, yeah. And we don't. We don't.
2: Well, you know, what's amazing is the dynamic we're talking about just forces us to evolve. And so that no matter how long it goes between visits... I always feel like we pick up hitting the ground running. You know, I mean, witness today. We haven't seen each other in quite a while. You know, what would the, you know. What
0: are you talking about? Pandemic there was?
2: COVID. It's the um, King Kong and Godzilla had a child and its name was COVID. (laughs) And it's invaded America. Okay. Thank you for that thought.
0: (laughs) Wow. Stick to the written stuff, man. (laughs) Also, do you remember when we were in Chicago, we would go. Three times a week and just stick our head in at the agent's offices. Oh, my God. Just to remind them who we were. Oh, my God. Remember walking down the street with Alan Ruck? Oh, sure. And we were all we were all just trying to make it in the business. And we were singing, weren't we singing? Walk- uh,
2: you've Lost That Loving Feeling.
0: That's right. In fact,
2: Alan loves to sing that song now. Because of that memory, and then he got cast in um Ferris Bueller's Day Ferris Off. Bueller's and Day I Off. remember going to to visit Alan at his hotel, thinking like, "Oh my God, he's hit the big time. He's in a movie. He's got a hotel room." <laughs> and then and then he went on to become big time. And Alan's a, a very successful actor and one of the nicest guys around.
0: My girls were in their teens and they were watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off with their cousins, and I go, "Alan's a friend of mine," and they're like, "You don't know Cameron," and I go. Yeah, his name is Alan, actually. And they're like, no way. So I called him. He just happened to be home. And he's like, yeah, put me on with your kids. (laughs) I know your old man. Leave him alone. (laughs) You know you're in trouble when. Right. Hey, so back to your story just a little bit. I've always been really fond of older men in my life because I want to be one someday. I got news for you. (laughs) Oh, shut up. And you told the story about the creeper, your dad missing the end of a finger. Okay, if you or I had cut off our finger in a lawnmower, that would be the story we would tell everybody. Right. But our parents, our dad, your dad, my dad were like, oh, yeah, I saw it off my arm one day. But uh, at the end of the day, I went to the doctor and had he put it back on.
2: Well, you know, you come from a farming background where, you know, things like that. Kind of happened, and you're you're very stoic about it. You know, my father, the story around him losing the tip of his finger, was basically a story of his own ignorance. He literally pulled the the bag off a mower, power mower, and didn't want to turn it off because he was lazy. <laughs> I mean, the creeper, like I said, had its status within the family, but it took on a whole different dimension when I did the piece on NPR, where the the creeper became like its own celebrity, and and what he used to be kind of ashamed of telling that story, he. Let's just say he treated it differently after after the the creeper had achieved uh
0: star like status. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking of farmers just happening, you know, having accidents and well, it's no big deal. My sister in law once said, Oh, tell that story about the the guy that you knew that lost his finger. I told three stories and at the end of each story she go, No, not that one. <laughs> no, not that one. And it was finally the story I remember was our neighbor Bill Stone had a uh, thumbnail that was coming off, and his thumb was all black, and it had a big hole in his thumbnail. And I said, Bill, what happened? He said, Well, I smashed my thumb, and it swelled up, so I had to put a hole in the thumbnail to let the pressure off. And I said, how did you do it? He said, well, I went out to the drill press Uh. (laughs) (laughs) and I, I ran the drill press through Uh. my thumbnail and I said, Oh my gosh, did anybody help you? And he said, no, that's kind of something you want to do on your own. (laughs) Cause once you go through the thumbnail, you want to stop pretty quickly. Oh my God. And then I said, well, it's about the size of a pencil eraser. Did you have to use that big of a bit? And he goes, I thought about that afterwards. (laughs) <laughs> well, Michael, we are um as you indicated earlier, we are actually heading towards being older men ourselves, hurtling to that very destination. Right, right. And it's been quite a journey so far. We're both you do a lot more writing now and yeah. I'm more of a performer. What yeah. kind of stuff are you writing?
2: You know, I've written a kids book that's been well received. I'm working on another kids book. I'm working on I used to write essays for a magazine, I had a column. So I'm putting together an anthology of those columns. I'm working on uh, some short fiction. You know, writing for me, it's interesting. The Hemingway um, documentary that came out recently that Ken Burns and Lynn Novick did on uh, PBS really got me thinking about writing. And whereas Hemingway was a writer, and that's the reason he lived, was to be the greatest writer of the 20th century, which I think is a fool's task. But I write as a means of just understanding who I am because I, I literally discover who I am in what I write. And I know that seems odd, maybe to some people. But I, I will read stuff that I wrote and I go, oh, almost as if someone else wrote it, which is kind of an interesting dynamic, but one that has served me well.
0: It is. Sometimes I'll write a story and go, wow, where did that come from? Where right. did Where did that part of the story come from? Right. And that is so satisfying creatively. You know, as an actor, I'm almost always reading other people's material. Oh, my God. I'm a storyteller, and right. when I create a story and it's all mine and I'm a little fascinated about where it came from, too. I am sure you feel that when you write. Oh, very much so. Okay, I'm going to close this part of the episode on a high point. Um, So I'm getting my colonoscopy tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember years ago, you got stopped by a policeman for speeding. Yeah, yeah. And what did you say to him?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting that you should mention that. because <laughs> Speaking
0: I, of colonoscopies, yeah, what did you say I, to him? And again,
2: a high note in colonoscopies should never appear in the same sentence. You know, I, I was speeding. I was caught dead to rights. The guy said, you know, you're speeding. And I said, officer, I'm sorry. I'm having a colonoscopy in the morning. and I just took a <laughs> laxative that would clear out a bowl. And he said, say no more. Get out of here. And I was gone.
0: Okay, I mentioned that story to Michael just a few minutes before we started recording, and I didn't find out until just now that you lied. Oh, yes. <laughs> you. <laughs> okay. Bull faced Anything to get out of the ticket, but all these years... You know I, what? I have told that I've retold that story that you took the laxative and got out no, of it. No, no. I,
2: I, I had taken a laxative years prior when I'd gotten a colonoscopy, <laughs> but I saved the experience, Rick, and I incorporated it into <laughs> it my creative this life, right index which is what an artist's life is, don't you think?
0: Thank you for joining us on <laughs> So Says Rick. I'm glad we could end at a high point. Thanks for being here, Michael. Thank you, Rick. Okay, I know we just said goodbye, and Michael has left. But I'm going to add an epilogue to this episode. And Laura's not here to tell me that I shouldn't say, this is something different I'm doing. I looked up the word that I didn't understand in Michael's story. And he said, digital Luca Brazzi. I had no idea what that meant. I looked it up. So simple. He's the enforcer and the godfather. Luca Brazzi. Now we all know, huh? You people have a good day. I'll see you in the next episode of So Says Rick.